Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining me today, she's Food Network's Master of Q and award-winning cookbook author. It's Erica Blair Ruby. How are you doing today? Hey, how are you? <laughs> doing good. We are so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. Yeah, so I'm kind of from everywhere because my parents were Air Force. So we moved around, but like I never got to go cool places. So I started <laughs> off in Nebraska, punched around, ended up in Ohio, and now I'm in Texas. So I definitely claim Ohio the longest, though. <laughs> Did you kind of enjoy getting that opportunity to move to those different states? Or was it kind of hard from being a child and kind of making friends? Because you're like, where's the next place I'm going? Nope, not at all. I stayed just long enough to like totally mess everything up and then get a fresh start. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up, did you have any interests that were very important to you? Um, I guess like as a kid, I was always watching cooking shows. Like I was like a little weirdo. My mom said like they would be working or something and I'd be setting up candlelight dinners and hanging sheets from the <laughs> on the ceiling to make like a little mood lighting and then I'd be serving them like raw chicken. <laughs> <laughs> what were those shows or those chefs that you were watching on TV? Yeah, so I started just watching, you know, anything that was on because back then there was no such thing as streaming. If the TV was on, it was whoever was on. But the one that really resonated with me and I was definitely older when it actually happened was Nigella Lawson. And all of a sudden, like, I just, I just saw this whole world open up to me and I just wanted to be Nigella. Like that was, that was it for me. And like, still to this day, like, it's just everything Nigella, even though I've cooked and met almost everybody, nobody holds the candle to my first love. <laughs> was there a dish that Nigella made that was like, oh, I want to make this or that first dish you saw and you wanted to recreate? Yeah, so she was making like a bread pudding. And the cool thing about her, she would be doing it in the middle of the night in her kitchen. Like the kitchen's a mess. It's not like pretty or anything. And she'd be like, I'm going to sneak downstairs and make myself a bread pudding. And I'm like, yeah, me too, Nigella. I'm going downstairs. <laughs> and like, it was the way she would eat food. I mean, you could tell that she loved food. And I was like, I want to have a love affair with a dish like that. You know, I want to eat something and it look and I react just like that. So that was it. <laughs> was there any opportunities at school for like home ec or cooking classes that you were able to try or this was just all naturally at home? Yeah, there was nothing like we never no school I ever went to had like a home ec or anything culinary. There was nothing. It was just like a desert. And then where I would grow up, it would just be like fast food row. So yeah. there was no like there was no like, you know, family owned or owner chef restaurants that I ever went to. You know, my parents were buffet people because we were poor. So they like, they're like, if we were going out, we were going to Ryan's Steakhouse and, you know, you better eat your weight's worth, you know. So I never, ever got like that culinary experience so it would have to be I'd have to be at home and I'd have to try and create it for myself so that was pretty much it there was nothing <laughs> I remember during high school for me or maybe it was middle school there was like you had three different classes and there was two different sessions one had the home ec class and the other you didn't even get it knowing my luck I didn't get the that rotations and I was like 
So I was similar to you where I found my passion with cooking at home, watching the Food Network. And I think my people were Bobby Flay, Robert Irwin, all those people. And I'm just watching and my mom's going to hate. She wasn't that cook like I am. Like, she's going to laugh when I say this, but hers was Kraft Mac and Cheese and Hot Dogs. Or, But she got got better over time. I will give her credit. My mom still hasn't. So... I try to get my mom now to cook because she sees everything that I'm cooking now for her. And she's like, where, like, where do you find this stuff? And it's like, well, from watching TV from a young age to now, it's like, you kind of, I'm like the chef who uses videos as the way of learning, actually going to classes and stuff. Yes, me too. I want to learn in my underwear. Like, don't take me to a class. (laughs) (laughs) Who were your biggest inspirations growing up? Was there anyone that was a big motivator for you? Someone that inspired you? Um, I had a bunch. It was actually pretty crazy because we were, you know, on a military base. So we would go to the military grocery store, the commissary. And sometimes I would see like women in their uniform and, you know, all blinged out. And I just like, I saw them and I was like, they're so powerful. They're so amazing. They're so in charge. You know, they just look so confident and put together. So every time I just like, I saw a woman in uniform, I would be so impressed and so enamored. And like in my little brain, I'd be trying to figure out like, how do I act like them? You know, how do I command and have that presence in a room. And then um, when I got into high school, my Spanish teacher, she was just so amazing. And for the first time ever, you know, I had left Ohio and I was in Hawaii and she, and she cooked and she made like this pico de gallo tostada. And I'd never had anything like that. I think the only Mexican restaurant we had in my town was Chi Chi's. <laughs> <laughs> And everybody was like, oh, no, that's too spicy. We can't go there. Oh, my gosh. But yes. So so for the first time, I had like real, you know, ethnic food. She was from Peru. And so she would cook from her culture. And all of a sudden, it just went from like there to my roommates were from Korea. So now I'm trying Korean food and their parents would come over and they would be making their food. And then actually being in Hawaii and having actual Hawaiian food and watching it be prepared and seeing a banana leaf for the first time and realizing you can use leaves in cooking. You know, all I knew was like the bay leaves you got in the little McCormick thing. So it was, it was that. And all of a sudden those became my role models. And I was like, there's a whole world out here. And then I realized watching no matter where I was being the new kid or starting over, I could always use food as a welcome mat to bring people in and to talk to people and get to meet them. And I just saw how like when you just set out a display of food and you're just like, come, come eat with me, come sit with me. You get the best side of people. And I kind of, I didn't like have it that finessed is the way I said it to you, but I felt it and I realized it. So I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is who I want to be. Somehow I want to make sure that I am like the best in hospitality. I'm always hosting and I'm always feeding people because that's when they're at their best and they're most relaxed. Was that kind of the envision of what you wanted your path as a career to be? Something in the hospitality yeah. format. 
I did, you know, I was like, Oh, I, I remember checking out a book at the library. Like <laughs> what, what kind of careers can I have? And being like, Oh, I need to be the GM of a hotel or a manager of a restaurant. That's what I want to do. And then my parents like quickly shot that down and they were like, uh-huh. yeah, you can be a doctor or a lawyer, figure it out. Which one? <laughs> what ended up being that path for you? I ended up becoming a lawyer. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> so I ended up becoming a lawyer. Fast forward, I'm living in Miami, Florida. I'm a criminal defense attorney. I'm going in trial. I'm in jail every day, you know, and I'm just beating the pavement and just trying to prove myself as a young woman and also, you know, trying to save people mm-hmm. and just seeing the other side of humanity and the not so pretty side and how, you know, people really have a different existence than this little bubble. I guess I had created for myself and like, you know, but the worlds collide. So it was a really huge learning curve for me. And it was also because I came from such like small insulated areas. It was the first time that like I realized there could be people out there that really do not have good intentions Mm-hmm. And like they literally wake up seeking ruin and destruction of mankind. And so that was huge for me because I always viewed the world through like these rose colored glasses that, you know, like the sitcom, everybody, even if there's a crisis, we all come together. And then, you know, you have the laughter and the happy ending. And I got out in the real world and that was not the case. So that was huge for me because I had to re I had to like reconstruct my whole worldview very, very quickly with people's lives on the line, you know, so that was super stressful, but it was a challenge. And I was like, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to fail. And I'm going to throw all of my passion into this because this is my career. This is my life path now. With being a lawyer, it definitely takes a mental toll on you because long hours, the kind of content or the context of all these cases, did that affect you from separating when you kind of were going home or your personal life in a way where you had, you were only thinking about the professional side and it kind of did not help on both? Yeah, I never got to turn it off. I think because it was also, you know, my first real job in my career, I took everything home with me because the next day I was being held accountable. I was in a courtroom and I might be swearing in a jury and I might be fighting for somebody's life. So I never, I never turned the switch off. I even had installed a phone line in my house, just dedicated for my clients to call me, Wow, you know? (laughs) So I had, it was my life and I didn't, I didn't have the maturity or probably the confidence to say, okay, now work is done and now it's time for me to do my own thing because I valued my worth as a person through my work and through my results. So I really had no life. (laughs) With being a lawyer, is there anything that it really taught you about yourself that you're proud of? Yeah, I learned being a lawyer how to pivot. I can pivot. I could have worked on something, had a theory about something, had a cause of action, a plan ready to execute. And in two seconds, that could be completely thrown out. And now what do you do? Who are you? And I learned that I was really good at thinking on my feet, being able to turn the situation around and also being able to just roll with whatever was coming my way and claw my way out of that to victory. So I was like, okay, we're good here. When did you know that maybe I'm ready for that next chapter or I'm ready for that next phase in what I want to do? 
Yeah. So it was, I was on like this high of, you know, just like my career, everything was going well. I had gotten married and you see where this is going. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden on a dime, like on a dime, there was like, I was Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. There was a rain cloud over me. I was not happy doing what I was doing. My marriage was failing. I was pretty much like working isolated, not having any type of balance. And then I was also not happy with, you know, having to deal with the type of law that I was doing. So I decided to go out on my own and start my own firm and call my own shots. So I was doing that and I love that. It was the most, probably the most fear I've ever had besides Food Network. <laughs> and, and so I'm just, you know, I'm doing it. I'm doing my thing. I'm I'm swimming with the sharks. I'm making it. And then my husband at the time was like, I just got my dream job in Tampa. We lived in Miami at the time and I want to go there. It's my turn. It's my time. So I'm trying to be supportive. Our marriage was already struggling. It was so bad. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to give up everything because if this is going to make you happy, if it's going to make us happy, I'll do it. And I say that that was probably like the worst mistake of my life, but it was actually the best mistake I've ever made in my life because I got up to Tampa. Now I know nobody. I'm basically like my law firm is done because all my contacts are in Miami. So I'm sitting there trying to form like what I'm going to do. And I'm just at the house because I'm not being productive. I don't, I don't have anything. And then my husband at the time, he was like living the high life. And I mean, I would wear the same clothes for like three days. I had like this little like cheap owl sweatshirt and I would just like put it on and like go sit outside because I really had nothing to do. And I was so depressed and I was so miserable. And so I was actually, for the first time in my life, I was just like, oh my God, like, are my best days behind me? Like, is this it? Have I hit, have I hit it? Like, there's nothing else left for me to look forward to, you know, wow, what a fast rise. And then like a slam into a brick wall. And I remember I was sitting outside in my owl sweatshirt and (laughs) I, I told my husband like how depressed I was and, you know, how I wasn't doing well. And I thought that I would get you know, some sympathy or like some recognition that like, yeah, you gave up everything and things are going to work out. It's going to, you know, everything's going to work out. And he just looked at me and he was like, well, you're in charge of your own happiness and like walked out. Yes. But, (laughs) But you know what? I believe that God speaks when you need to hear it. And I needed to hear that because it was true, even though that's not what I wanted to hear. I heard the message and I was like, you know what? I am in charge of my own happiness and I know who I am and I know how hard I work and I know what I have to offer this world. And why am I sitting here having this pity party for myself in my owl sweatshirt on the porch? (laughs) And so around that time, um, the Psalm movies had come out about sommeliers. And so I was just, I was just watching and I saw these people in suits that looked like little lawyers, but they're pouring wine and they're eating and there are these fancy restaurants. And I'm like, who is that? I want to be that person. That's what I'm going to do. So I threw myself into learning about wine and everything like that. And then I didn't know that much. So it's Florida. I I go and I work at this winery and I didn't know that wine was made from grapes. So I'm serving like strawberry wine and blueberry wine. And I'm sitting there wearing a suit. Like, <laughs> 
I didn't know any better. And so then I, I found like this course online and it was like, we will, you'll come to culinary school. You'll take the sommelier program with us and you'll become a certified sommelier. And I was like, I just felt chills. When I looked at it on the computer screen, I knew that something was happening. It felt electric and it was out in California. You could go to California or New York. And I was like, eh, I don't want to go to New York, but California, <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> so I, I just applied for it. And I mean, I'm harassing them like, hey, did you get my application? Hey, hey, hey. And it was, a, I think it was a 16 week program, super intense, like eight to 10 hours a day, every single day. And then you go through the court of master sommeliers. The classes were taught by master sommeliers. So I was just like, I'm doing this. And then so I go to my husband at the time and I was like, hey, guess what? I found what's going to make me happy. I'm going to take 16 weeks. And I'm going to go to this culinary school uh, and then I'm going to become a psalm and I'm going to come back. And he just basically looked at me and said, if you go, don't come back. Oh, <laughs> yes. And so I was just. I was absolutely mortified. And I realized like at that time I had to make a decision. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay here and just keep on keeping on doing this? Or are you going to, are you going to go and like chase your destiny? Oh, you got candy. I'm proud of you. Or are you going to go and chase your destiny and be who you need to be? So I made the decision that I was going to move out to California. I was going to become a Psalm and I was just going to like figure out what happens from that point on. And so anyway, I'm crawling over the seat. Hold on. It's not going to be pretty. Oh my goodness. So I made the decision, made the decision to go out there and, you know, as I'm leaving, I'm packing up everything. You're going to turn your lights back on and turn your lights off on your car. I'm packing up everything that I love, that's true to me. And I head out there with basically the clothes on my back. Wow. So I get there and at the ripe old age of 30, I'm the oldest person in the class. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh my gosh, she's 30. And I'm like, hey, whatever, leave me alone. But I realized like I had given up everything. This had to work. No matter what, it had to work. I had to pass. And so the sommelier exam, um, it, at that time, it had like a 25 to 50% pass rate. So, I mean, they were touting it, you know, it's hard. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have to pass. So I got scared and I was like, I don't want to take this exam in front of my professors I've been with for 16 weeks. So, and if they see me fail, like I'm horrified. So I got on a plane and while I was Erica, real quick. I'm thinking like nobody will know me. It was like be, you know, and so I go there. So I decide I'm going to get on an airplane. I'm going to fly to Arkansas. And I'm going to take this exam and in like privacy and secrecy. So if I fail, nobody back at school will know and I'll just never go back to school. <laughs> so anyway, I go there and then it turns out as I'm walking in with my master plan, I see the dean of our school as one of the as one of the professors and I just I mean I was like maybe he won't know it's me like <laughs> I'll be I'll be okay and so like I tried to stay out of his way and hide 
I tried to stay out of his way and hide. And I he totally saw me, whatever. And then um, so we go in, we take the exam, and then they bring us into the room and they give us all a glass of champagne. And oh. so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh, we're all getting champagne. Does that mean we all passed? And so then they start talking and they're like, as expected, uh, only five of you passed. Oh. And like my whole, like my soul has left my body at this point because I gave up everything. My whole life is riding on this exam. And so they call the first name, second name, third name. They're not mine. And at this point, I'm thinking, can I run away become a showgirl in Vegas, but then they say you have to be five six. I'm only five one. Like, <laughs> like I have no avenue. So then the fourth name is called It Is Mine. I literally like fall to the ground. I drop my champagne. I have big tears in my eyes. Like I'm hugging everybody. I'm running around the room hugging everybody. And I realize like at the moment all the sacrifices, those risks that I took was worth it because now my destiny was starting. It was my time. And so I went back out. I got a job in Napa working at a winery and I just, I started the Psalm life and I loved every minute of it. I was single and I was out there walking through the vineyards of Opus One every morning, you know, watching hot air balloons. And I was like, this is the life. This is wonderful. I love this. I have no regrets. And thank God that I believed in investing in myself and taking a chance. Or I could have just still been back in Tampa, just miserable with nothing to show for it, playing it safe, you know? So that was, that was probably one of the biggest lessons of my life. And to be starting basically, you know, all over again in a career field that has nothing to do with the law (laughs) and, and being able to be successful. And, you know, I had so many friends back home when I told them that I was going to get into wine, I was going to do this. They just, they didn't agree with it. They were like, why would you want to stop being an attorney? Like, are you kidding me? And they, you know, they just, they didn't support that decision. And then those same people, when I started like posting things on Facebook or it might've even been MySpace, I don't know, but like posting, <laughs> posting pictures on Facebook of the vineyard and the sunrise, those same people were then like, oh my God, you did it. We're so proud of you. You did it. You go girl. And I mean, that just, that really made me feel so good. <laughs> so that was that was that getting into wine and getting into food. That's how it happened. You know, everyone feels that that job path that they're going and they think that's going to be the best job that they'll ever have. That's the main mission that they have. And then when they really dive down deep into it and they're like, this is not what I want to do, because especially with the attorney aspect, there's so many shows out there that kind of make it a little bit more glamorous than it thinks. You have like the law and orders, the CSIs, um, suits, um, Allie McBeal, <laughs> Franklin Bash. Like you have all those like fun shows that they kind of make it, you kind of mentioned where at the end of it, there's that positive ending, even though when you're really in it, there is no positive ending unless you're winning for your client. But then sometimes those lawyers have guilty consciences and they're like, I just saved my clients and maybe they actually did it. So there's all those things. And then you had that gut feeling that you needed to go out there and make your dreams come true and do really what you're passionate about. Because now going into the next chapter, look at everything you've done. And it's almost like if you didn't do that to start out, you would never have gotten to where you are today. 
Exactly. And it was also one of those things like get out of your comfort zone, push yourself to be uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, even in the, even in the field that I'm in now, I, when I reevaluate myself, I'm like, am I still happy doing what I'm doing? Is there something else I should be doing? Like, what can I do to get better? You know, like you can't just stay marinating in mediocrity or yeah. complacency. You know, you have to always want to push yourself to do something different and to do something better. One of the titles I said at the beginning was Food Network. So let's get into the fun part of Food Network. How did this opportunity came about for you? So I, my mom, she laughs and she always comes to me. She's like, you were a pandemic superstar. (laughs) (laughs) Because if it weren't for the pandemic, I never would have went for the show. Um, Being stuck in the house with a newborn 24 seven with like no end in sight. And then if ice road trucker would have called, I would have been like, sign me up. Alaska. <laughs> sign me up. Deadliest catch. I'll go. Like I just wanted to be out of the house so bad. So I had just gotten on um, Instagram and I was, you know, reaching out into the barbecue community. So we had this group of pitmasters that would do zoom conferences Monday and Thursdays. And that was like my lifeline. And those are my friends and they're still my friends today. And I was just learning barbecue. Uh, my dad's been a big barbecuer for a while, but like, I've definitely taken the tongs from him. Like he can't compete, <laughs> but I learned about competition barbecue and I thought that would be something really cool. You know, once again, high stakes, you know, something to prove. And, you know, I thought that would be great. So I started learning and then. I was throwing up some awful photos on Instagram because I was not good with social media. I have taken them down. You will never find them. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and so um, all of a sudden I went into my DMs and I saw a casting director had written me and was like, hey, we like your content and we are filming a barbecue show in Austin, Texas. It's just a little show, a uh, friendly competition. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, yeah, sign me up. Yes. So I went and I like applied and everything like that. And I didn't hear anything for a year. But but like I was like, oh, my God, they saw me. So that just like ignited the fire. And so for a whole year, I actually went out on the competition circuit. I started all by myself, which is unheard of and crazy. And then my mom started coming and now we are the team, me and my mom. (laughs) And I just started competing all through America and just going to barbecue competitions. All of a sudden in January, I think it was 2021, um, Food Network, a producer calls me from Food Network because I didn't know what network it was going to be. They didn't tell, they don't tell you that. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, okay, can you come down to Austin, Texas? We need you here for two weeks uh, to film this show. You're not on the show, but you're a finalist. We'll let you know once you get down here. And they're like, minimum, you'll be here for a week. And I was like, what? A week in a hotel room and no kid like kicking me in my face <laughs> and my ribs. Sign me up. I'm coming. I don't care if I get on the show. So I go down there. And as soon as I walk into the hotel where their Food Network is having all of us stay. And like the thing about Food Network, the vetting process was so intense. Like they, I mean, they, at the end of all their questioning, I mean, they have 
the way, how deep they go into your background, how much they question you, um, how many things, dishes you have to prepare and take photos of and submit to them and stuff like that just to even be considered. It was really intense. And I remember being out at my barbecue grill with my dad and it was raining and we were out there all night smoking a brisket and we literally alternated between like smoking and praying. Like we were smoking the meat praying to God, smoking the meat, praying to God, like, you know, because it was make it or break it to be on the show. When I finally get to the show, I get to the hotel. As soon as I, the door is open, Rodney Scott is standing right there. So all of a sudden, like, once again, my soul leaves my body because now I'm like, this is not a little show. If Rodney Scott has anything to do with this, this is not like a friendly little barbecue competition. <laughs> And I'm in trouble and I need to go home immediately. <laughs> so I call my dad and I tell him, I was like, the good news is I'm probably going to be home in a week. Wow. <laughs> the, the bad news is I might embarrass our family on national television. So we make a deal. <laughs> we make a deal that I'll just go by Erica Blair and I'll drop the Roby. So I save my family. <laughs> <laughs> So we start competing. We get out on the show. You don't meet anybody ahead of time. So like I never met Bobby or Michael Simon or any of those people. Um, you don't meet them ahead of time. And then all of a sudden we get out on set and there's like 11 cameras trained to every single person. And that was something that was something that I did not know. I had never done before. And I didn't know how reality TV worked. And so to have like 11 cameras on you within like three inches of your face. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm already like new to barbecue. I mean, it really, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, you have to pretend like you're in the courtroom and you're swearing in a jury and like, you have to project confidence and be tough yeah. because you, you will be eaten alive here. If you make any mistakes, you will be eaten alive here. And there will be a bunch of cameras to record your downfall. <laughs> so I was just like, okay, you know, game face, lawyer mode, be practical, be pragmatic, you know, and be analytical and read the room every single time. Like, make sure you read the room and you see what people are doing and listen. That was the thing that really saved me on the show was listening. So everybody else had all the other contestants. They had been on shows. So I guess there's like a little reality cooking circuit of just like reused people, recycled people. So everybody's <laughs> like, everybody's like talking about all the shows they've been on. And then this girl asked me what shows I've been on. And I was like, none. This is my first one. And so she looks at the rest of the table and she's like, oh, well, she's going to be gone first. Oh. So I felt like a showgirls moment. Like I was like, oh, you know, you go throw some pearls and break my ankle. Like, uh-uh. Yeah. I was like, now, now it's time to fight because I did not appreciate that. <laughs> you probably regret saying that after the show ended. <laughs> really good friends now, so it is so funny. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I go out there and like the first few weeks, I was just like, keep your head down and just try to stay alive. Don't make waves and just try to make it. And then finally, I think it was like midway through the season, I really got confidence and I decided like, quit trying to be like, the what you think a pit master is supposed to be and cook the things that you know and i was on bobby flay's team and he one of the things he told us in the beginning he's like if you want to know how i'm so successful and you know why how i won iron chef and all that stuff and i'm thinking to myself uh because you're amazing <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. you're a culinary god that's why yeah. <laughs> 
And he was like, I, I never cook outside of myself. I only cook what I know. And yeah, and I don't know if that was like a little like Mr. Miyagi moment, but like then when we're like midway season through, all of a sudden like I hear this little voice and it's like, cook what you know. <laughs> <laughs> So I completely stopped trying to compete with everybody else. And I started cooking dishes from my childhood. That little, you know, 11 year old Erica was trying to do uh, back at her house and like the food that I cooked with my family, things that I could cook, like with my eyes closed. And I started doing that. And the next thing you know, I started winning and it just like, it kept going. And so now I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. You know? And I just, I made sure that everything I cooked had like an actual cultural and personal connection to me mm -hmm. and I didn't cook I didn't cook anything that I hadn't already cooked at my home and that I didn't have a story behind and the next thing I know I look up and we're at the finale and I'm sitting at the table across from two of some of the best pitmasters in St. Louis and in Texas and I'm like how did I get here but thank you God for getting me here and thank you, God, for giving me the strength to, like, keep standing and just keep putting one foot in front of the other and doing this. And then it was our final meal. And I just I cooked what I cooked out on the competition circuit. And, you know, my family were from New Orleans. So I cooked a bunch of Creole food. And then when they came back to make their decision, all of a sudden I heard my name called as the winner. Oh. <laughs> And I, I stopped at first. Like, I don't think I reacted because I thought maybe I've had a psychotic break. Oh. <laughs> really call my name. So I was like, let me wait and make sure that this is really happening. And so then when they like said it again, it just, it all flooded. And I thought back to my entire journey and all the things that I lost and all the things I gained and how like now I have something that, you know, when I'm like old and eating applesauce in a corner somewhere at the family reunion, like my son and my grandkids can be like, oh no, back in her day, you know, she did this and it's documented, you know, she was a badass. <laughs> and that's just how I've been living my life ever since and just making sure that I always invest in myself and take those risks and, you know, fear and people say be fearless. No, fear is a really good motivator and fear can help you be super analytical of a situation and where something like might end up saving your life, you know, because when you're hyper aware, you tend to analyze things a lot more, but it's be confident you don't have to be fearless, but be confident and go boldly into the direction of your destiny. And that's what I do. And I do it every single day. Similar question that musicians get is like, what's their music style? When you're cooking, do you have that signature style? Like Bobby is that Southwestern kind of cuisine. What is that for you? I'm a Creole chef, so because my heritage is New Orleans, and that's just like my dad was the best cook in the house. We never let my mom. I mean, my mom was always making food, and it was astronaut food. But you know, like that freeze dried. <laughs> we call her the dehydrator. Just add water to her food to make it come back alive. But no, definitely Creole influences, Cajun influences. That was what I grew up eating, so I still do it. I don't even think about it that much. But yeah, so I'm definitely a Creole girl. With being on a big platform as the Food Network, you've gotten the opportunity to make appearances on other shows. Is there one that's memorable for you? <laughs> 
Yeah. So um, I did, I do a lot of like the Today Show. Oh. And like, I actually just did that on Friday. I was at the Today Show filming. Um, and then I've done a bunch of like other Food Network stuff, like making cameos and doing stuff like that. But the Today Show, Good Morning America, things like that, because it's timed. Mm-hmm. So it adds that stress again, like that Food Network clock that is real and it does not pause or stop. But so being able to like talk and cook and prep and, you know, hit all the points that you need and do like this past one, I did two recipes in four minutes. And so that kind of thing, I never in the natural, I never thought that I would do. So to be doing things like that. It's just, it really makes you feel alive and it like, it puts that fire under you because you know, like you're on, you're on air and it's going to be shown. If you do something, it's going to be shown, but you also need to make sure that like, you're not so focused on the cooking. You forget what the show is actually about. Mm-hmm. So like, if you watch the Today Show, you'll see the chef and he's just like frantic and kind of talking about moving his hands all fast. And so I was like, I don't want to do that because that's not a good look. So you just have to like be breezy with it. And, you know, remember that, yes, you're making the food, but you can always go down to the end where the food is always made if you're <laughs> running out of time. <laughs> so you don't look like a frantic racehorse. So I think that's one of the good things. And then a funny story, the first time I went to the Today Show, like after you're done, the show is still going on with like other segments. So they kind of just like take your mic off and send you on your way. But I got lost in the building and, <laughs> <laughs> and I could not find my way back to the green room that I was in because they have like... 15 green rooms and then i think like snl is being also filmed adjacently so like some of the green rooms were shared or something happened so i'm just like asking people hey where's the green room and they're pointing to these random rooms so i'm literally walking around opening doors on like celebrities shutting doors and i do this and then i'm like going down stairwells and once the door shuts it does not open back for you (laughs) I literally, I think I spent more time walking around the building than I did actually on the show. And I was just dying laughing. Like finally this lady, I guess it must happen a lot. She like took pity on me and she's like, I will walk you down to where you're supposed to be. And I was like all sweating and stressed out. I was like, I just need to get back to my mom and my kid. So, (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, this gets back. They're never going to bring me back. But they did. But those are my favorite. The morning shows are my favorite to do. With with having a big platform, what's the big mission you have, especially with being in the food industry? I definitely want to be like the hometown hero. I want people that did not go to culinary school. I have not gone to culinary school. I went to wine school, never food. I want people to know that you can teach yourself. Like you said, you know, we watch videos. You can teach yourself and you can make yourself a star. You do not need to be throwing out hundreds of thousands of dollars or feeling like there's a barrier to entry for you. Now with social media, now with YouTube, all of these things, you can basically write yourself where you want to be in culinary history. And I just really hope that like people like me, you know, I'm sitting at a dead end job. I don't like I'm 
was married to a guy that I couldn't stand. Like, you know, you can change your life and get exactly what you want and have everything that is meant for you, but you just have to do it. You have to take those steps and you have to go out there and really advocate for yourself and claim what's yours. And you don't have to be a superstar. You can be an everyday person and you can do this. (laughs) You talked about being on a farm. What's been the fun parts, but what's been the challenging parts of living on a farm? Uh, the fun parts are definitely all my little fur babies. Um, I have, I have like cocktail hour out there. I like ride my ATV out to the horse stalls and just be like hanging out, drinking a margarita and talking to them. And they, they look at me. So I think, I think they're listening. I'm not sure. But I'll literally go out there and just be like hanging out. And I look forward to that. Uh, My chickens, they are so cool too. I mean, they're not really that friendly, but like, (laughs) but like they'll come up and they'll like surround my feet and I'll be drinking coffee in the morning. And like, I'll be like talking to them like, now children today, we are not going to poop on the doorstep. Like, (laughs) so like, I love that. I love the animals. I love getting to watch them. And they're just, they're so pure and besides the chickens that I hatched myself, um, but the horses, the rescues. And so to like kind of see their journey and how they're just straight out there chilling, like living their best life. They get unlimited snacks and food and everybody like yells at me. They're like, don't be giving the horses all that. I'm like, no, they deserve it. Okay. They've been through some stuff. If they want some extra treats, they can have it. Like, so I love that. It gives me, it just really gives me like a big heart and a sense of purpose and just like love and happiness. When I see all those little faces every day, it's just like the start of a new day. And I'm like, every day is beautiful with them so I love that uh the bad side is is a the cleanup because yeah. <laughs> I had to do it all myself uh sometimes I can trick my husband and son to do it for a little bit but all the cleanup is mine and then living so like kind of like far out from like the culinary centers and my friends if like I joke around and tell everybody like I'm a hermit I'm not I'm not going anywhere. I think it's easier for me to get to the border of Louisiana than it is to get to the Houston airport. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and funny story about that. I'll tell you that. Um, But yeah, so it's just, I don't really have like a lot of human interaction anymore. So it's more on socials. And then every time like somebody invites me to something, I'm like, Oh, you know, I'd love to, but then that, I mean, I had to take a shower, get in my car, fight like three hours of traffic and then, you know, three hours of traffic back. So I really don't, unless it's at an event, I really don't hang out with people in real life. Uh, one of my girlfriends, she's also a food network girl. Um, and she just did something amazing. She's currently still in it. So I can't talk about it, but she actually came out. She loves coming out to my ranch. Um, just to, like hang out and she's like, I'll clean the stalls. I was like, girl, are you serious? She's like, I just do it. And so she comes out, she makes the drive. And I think it's like a good way because she just likes to decompress as well. And then, you know, we make drinks and we cook and we just talk and we have a really good time. So I love that. But that's definitely a downside. I do not see many people. <laughs> All of the things that you have been doing, is there something on your goals list that you're hoping to accomplish in the next few years? Yeah, I really want to host my own show. 
I really think like that would be just the pinnacle, even if it was for one season, like I could be one and done. It's fine. I'm not asking for much, but I really do want to host my own show. Um, I do my own right now where I go around and I talk to pit masters, restaurant owners, and just really like get into, you know, what is it like? Like, don't give me the rosy stuff. Like, tell me, tell me what it's really like. And, you know, tell me how you did it and what you went through to be standing where you're standing here right now. So I love that it's gained a lot of traction. I drive around in my RV and I go all over. I go all over. I mean, I was, I get myself in some crazy situations sometimes, but I would really like to have my own show where I could do something like that or, you know, just like basic chick cooking. Like, <laughs> you need to be Michelin starring it in your kitchen every single day. Like, you can, you can be basic and like throw down. <laughs> I definitely would love to do that. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. I get the most calls I get is to be a contestant on more shows and I turn those down. Um, I don't think that I, at this point in my career, I've pretty much like I've competed. I've done, I've won almost everything. I don't think going back and being a contestant would prove anything for me personally. So I haven't found like a middle range, like what's something I would like to do that maybe isn't hosting, but is something different. I just haven't found that yet. So I generally turn everything down. (laughs) I mean, Bobby Flay was your mentor. You got to go and beat Bobby Flay. I mean, it was funny. I was supposed to go on there, but I was filming in New Orleans and oh. it was Halloween like two years ago. So I didn't go on that episode because I was in New Orleans and they called me on a Monday and said, can you be here Thursday? And I was like in the middle of a swamp in my RV. I was like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> well, food network, if you're listening, you got to call her again, get her on the show. She has to basically win again. <laughs> and and for your viewers, um, if they want to go on those shows, it's jscasting.com is the one that finds all the people. So I don't know why like a lot of people in the industry try to keep like that secret. I don't think that that's right. I've always been very open with if I find somebody, like I'll tell everybody. <laughs> <laughs> they, but yeah. They basically don't want us home chefs to come out cook them. I mean, I think I can throw it down with some real chefs. I mean, I have no culinary. I'd be like, yeah, I watched you on TV, but I can cook better probably. And guess what? It's true. It's so so true. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) With all of those places you visited, is there like one dish or one food item that's like memorable? Like, this um this one guy and he's here it, it's the restaurant is called Tejas Chocolate and Barbecue he started out as a chocolatier and he he makes his own chocolate still on premise like he showed me like the the bean where the chocolate comes from like i'd never seen one of those before and so he did he started doing barbecue just to fund his chocolate business and then the barbecue took off he has i'm gonna call it a gumbo sausage he made a sausage that tastes like a pot of gumbo and it was the best thing i've ever tasted in my life like to this day like hands down it was the best thing i've ever tasted in my life and like he's one of those businesses there it's not hit or miss it is always a hit and I just, I love him. He's like the Willy Wonka of barbecue. And to this day, to this day, that's that was my favorite episode I ever filmed. 
So everyone watching and listening, they're hungry. Now they're going to go eat and enjoy, basically. They're going to all find that place and try it. <laughs> it's so good. It's worth it. Like if you're if you're even within like throwing distance of the Houston area, you have to go there because it's that good. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Bring it on home. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, first of all, you don't run from obstacles. So that they're just blocking your blessings. You either crawl under them, you run around them, or you bust through them. But you never turn your back on an obstacle. You, if you do that, you're just dead in the water in the obstacle one. So that's one of like my biggest things. Even if it looks insurmountable, know that that obstacle is in your way because you can overcome it and you can get around it and you can move on to where you're trying to be. The other thing is you have to network, be out there, talk to everybody, like get, learn something from everybody you meet, like listen, listen more than you talk because you never know what nugget of wisdom that's going to like set you on your path that you're going to hear from somebody else. And if your mouth is always going, you're blocking blessings. So don't do that. (laughs) And then the biggest one is stay humble. You have to stay humble because as soon as you think you're the best at something, then that's when you are off your game and somebody will come, somebody will come and knock you out and give you, But yeah, so you have to stay humble. You have to realize that you are always a student in this life. You are always learning. You are there to have things impressed upon you that then you can formulate so you can go out, craft who you want to be, craft where you want to be, and then teach the next person. If you keep everything inside and you don't want to see other people succeed, then that means you truly aren't a master of anything that you're doing and you're on the wrong path. Erica, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You are inspiring so many people and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. (laughs) Going to be lots of horses and chickens. (laughs) (laughs) Tune in next time. Hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel through the full length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.